0: X-ray. Welcome to the local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from the town of Portland, Oregon. It is Friday, December 18th in the year 2020. Not many days in 2020 are left. X-ray. Today, back in the day, December 18th, 1958, the SCORE communication satellite was launched by NASA. SCORE stands for Signal Communications by Orbiting Relay. It was the first communications satellite. On Christmas Day, the satellite broadcast a message from President Dwight D. Eisenhower through an onboard tape recorder. The program was a great success, provided a scientific breakthrough, proved the possibility of transmitting a message from any point on Earth to any other point on Earth. For anybody who's impressed by Elon Musk and space stuff, understand they are just now starting to replicate and all those efforts are standing on top of the shoulders, some even trying to catch up to the shoulders, of stuff that government scientists were working on in the 50s and the 60s. Computers are sure better now, though. Today, back in the day, December 18, 1972, President Richard Nixon initiated a carpet bombing campaign in Vietnam. Known as Operation Linebacker 2, the bombings lasted 11 days. Over 20,000 tons of explosives were dropped, Authorities in Vietnam said that 1,600 civilians died. Many believe that figure to be much higher. Today, back in the day, not that far back in the day, December 18, 2017, Amtrak Cascades derailed near DuPont, Washington. Three people were killed. An additional 70 people were injured. The incident occurred during the inaugural run of the Point Defiance Bypass. That runs between Tacoma and DuPont. Data show the train was moving 80 miles an hour. Speed limit in the area? 30 miles an hour. One of the arguments for high-speed trains, they're safer at high speeds. We'll start with the Quick 6 news headlines, and we'll have an interview with our U.S. Senator, Jeff Merkley. X-Ray. It is time for today's Quick 6 local rundown. The Multnomah County eviction moratorium has been extended once again now through July of next year, 2021. In a unanimous vote among the county commissioners of Multnomah, the eviction moratorium, set to expire in just a few days, December 31st, will continue for the next six months. This is the fourth time the moratorium has been extended since March when the shutdown began. Pending an additional extension, renters will still be expected to pay back overdue rent within six months of the moratorium ending. Oregon legislators are meeting on Monday to talk about extending the statewide moratorium. Here's the quote from Multnomah County Chair Deborah Kofori. Extending the state of emergency today is an acknowledgment of the reality that the health, safety, and well-being of our entire community, and especially the most vulnerable, continue to be threatened by this virus.
1: And now your daily dose of data. On Thursday, Oregon Health Authority confirmed 1,339 new cases of coronavirus in the state, bringing the total to 98,936. They also reported 21 new coronavirus-related deaths, bringing the state's total deaths to 1,283. Currently 551 Oregonians with COVID are hospitalized. A
0: homeless person died in their tent early on Wednesday. The person was using a candle for warmth and light. The candle got knocked over, started a fire, and killed them. This human being suffered third-degree burns on 75% of their body. Fire investigators in Portland estimate in the past weeks they've had two or three reports of tent fires each day. Commissioner Joanne Hardesty responded by asking Portlanders to act compassionately, ensuring all people have access to basic necessities.
1: Oregon's COVID vaccine shipments appear to be lagging. Oregon was supposed to receive 35,000 doses this week, but has only received 5,800. Oregon should receive a total of 224,000 doses slowly over the next month. Washington State has received 31,000 doses so far and expects another 31,000 by the end of the week. Dosage amounts are calculated by population. As it stands, this week, Washington state will receive 10 times as many vaccines as Oregon, with twice the population. Administration of the vaccine began on Wednesday with preference going to frontline health workers.
0: On Wednesday, the Oregon Humane Society got 250 guinea pigs from an overwhelmed owner. Officials are unsure how the excess occurred, but guinea pigs are usually adopted in pairs, and it can be hard to figure out what sex they are. I know, you're kind of thinking about how they figure it out. Get your mind out of the guinea pig gutter. The Oregon Humane Society is going to be collaborating with Green Hill Humane Society and Lane County Animal Services to oversee the adoptions. The guinea pig's got to go somewhere. Oregon Humane Society spokesperson Laura Clink said, and here's the quote, we certainly would love to see some of these guys go home in pairs, whether it's two males or females, but obviously we're going to be giving a lot of counseling on how quickly they can reproduce if you got a male and a female together. So with 250 guinea pigs, and who knows, maybe they'll make more. Here's something Humane Society didn't say, doesn't mean it's not true. Guinea pigs, they make a great gift.
1: City Council is considering proposals aimed to benefit Black families who are displaced from Portland's historically Black neighborhoods. One proposal requests $67 million to build 40 to 50 single-family homes and 100 apartments with preference given to those who are pushed out of the historically Black neighborhoods. The proposal includes spaces for emerging Black-owned businesses. Funding would come from Interstate Urban Renewal District, which pays for projects in the interstate area of North Portland. Another proposal seeks restitution for those who lost their homes due to eminent domain, particularly to those to make room for the legacy Emanuel Hospital. City Council will be voting on the redevelopment proposals in January. And finally, some good news. Today is the eighth day of Hanukkah. Those who celebrate the holiday can enjoy the lighting of the menorah in Pioneer Square via Zoom. Chabad of Oregon will be hosting the event. More information can be found on their Facebook page at facebook.com backslash Chabad Oregon. The Pioneer Square Menorah lighting has been a Portland tradition for almost 40 years, Rabbi Moshe from Chabad says, quote, This year, the menorah's message of light and hope is more important than ever. Our goal is to increase the points of light as we light the menorah in Pioneer Square in unison with homes throughout the Portland area lighting their own menorahs. Man, and that's today's, today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. Local rundown. X-ray. Next, we will hear from Senator Jeff Merkley. Senator Merkley spoke with Jefferson Smith about a proposal to adjust the 13th Amendment to make slavery an illegal punishment for crime. Here are Senator Merkley and Jefferson Smith.
0: Senator, can you hear me?
1: Uh, Yes, I can. Good morning.
0: That is marvelous. And I am glad. Where are you right now? I think you're in your office.
2: I am. I'm in I'm in D.C.
0: Now we have Senator Jeff Merkley on the phone we have Senator Jeff Merkley on the mind we also have Sweet Georgia on our mind what is the state of the United States Senate and what is in the what what is in question when we think about the composition of the Senate and the control of the chamber
2: Oh I tell you it is all eyes on on Georgia because uh, right now we're looking at uh, 48 Dems and and 50 Republicans so, depending on what happens to those two races, it could be 52-48, McConnell in control, or it could be 50-50 with the Democrats in control, which changes enormously the bills that will go to committee, that will be the hearings that will be held, the the votes on the floor, and certainly massively alters the the nomination process in both in terms of our courts and in terms of uh, the Joe Biden administration.
0: What are you hearing? What kind of intel do you get from whether it's whether it's polling, whether it's word on the street? What are you hearing about Georgia?
2: Well, I'll tell you, the the polling is a dead heat. It's a margin of error. People refer to this as just a massive turnout uh, challenge. And and they're hoping that all of the uh, mechanisms that Stacey Abrams and her friends have have built that delivered the state for Joe Biden will deliver these two Senate races. But I must say, every, everyone is kind of um, hesitant to draw a firm conclusion. Don't trust the polling, don't know uh, exactly uh, how people will feel motivated or not motivated on January 5th. There's early voting, which changes it, there's vote by mail that changes it. Uh, but the fact is, January 5th strategy was a Republican strategy to make sure that the Republican Party won runoffs because traditionally it's harder to get Democrats out to a second. A second uh, runoff uh, after the presidential is over. So maybe this will be the the time that 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 mold is broken.
0: What's the mood like at the Capitol? It seems like there has been some progress now towards some version of coronavirus relief package that to some feels weeks overdue. Uh, What is the state of play when it comes to financial relief with so many people being impacted by the virus?
2: Well, it feels uh, seven months overdue, because that's when the House passed the HEROES Act. And the sense was that uh, as time passed, pressure would build, we'd get a better deal, and, and uh, it hasn't worked out that way. Uh, Mitch McConnell had a lot of his caucus members who were already kind of pivoting to being fiscal conservatives after, after spending like drunken sailors on, on uh, tax cuts for the rich in 2017. And so uh, here we are with a, a package that is less than a trillion dollars. And, and most of those funds are actually funds left over from the last bill. So it's, it's um, somewhere around $400 billion of, of new money. We've been really fighting for the, the vision of rebuilding the economy from from the ground up, that is from the families and small businesses. Uh, we, it looks like we will have some augmented Unemployment insurance, some $300 per week, possibly for four months, but we haven't seen the the details. Help a lot of families who are still unemployed. I think there will be personal payments. It will be about half of what they were last time, and they will be income uh, limited. But, again, haven't seen the exact uh, details on that. The big battle has been over state and local government funding, which has been held hostage by Mitch McConnell's corporate impunity and that corporate impunity bill is designed to strip away from ordinary Americans the ability to have their day in court when they've been economically injured by someone's malfeasance. And that, you know, that ability to go to a court to seek justice, that's as fundamental as red, white, and blue. It's as fundamental as apple pie. It's common law before we ever ever had a United States of America. And So we, we absolutely have to expose what he's doing not using kind of uh, fancy terms like liability or or terms that sound kind of positive like corporate shield. This is stripping ordinary Americans of the right to justice, and we cannot let that happen.
0: What is the kind of case that would apply to, for instance? I know it's a broad range, but what was a garden variety kind of case that, Ought to be able to be brought, would be able to be brought under current law, but if that provision passes, would no longer give, as you to use your words, an ordinary American the right to seek some justice.
2: Well, let's say you have store clerks where the company knew very well that a good percentage of people in coming into the community store had would have COVID, and they said, "Well, we're not going to ask for masks, we're not going to put up shields, we're not going to have our our uh, masks for our employees," and a bunch of employees get sick. Of COVID, because the company knowingly put them in grave danger, and that would be an example. Or let's say you have a meatpacking plant where people are working side by side, or they're 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 shelling, chucking oysters, and uh, the company knew very well that when people stand elbow to elbow, or doing hard work, that uh, this type of um, disease can move quickly from one person to another. But they made no effort to separate them, no effort to put up shields, no effort to put on masks, and so left their workers in grave danger knowing that they were at very, very high risk of getting sick with, with significant consequences, possibly death. So those would be examples of the type of, of negligence of uh, deliberately uh, basically saying the health of your workers or your customers has no value
0: and what is the chance that that passes? I mean, I know. So right now it's loggerheads. Republic, as I'm hearing you and as we've read the reporting, that right now Republicans say no support for state and local governments or very limited support for state and local governments unless you give carte blanche uh, to strip away the ability to seek redress if you get harmed by your employer. How does one navigate that? How are you navigating? How's the U.S. senator, maybe the negotiations with the House, navigating uh, that sort of Cilindraibdis, that rock and hard place?
2: Well, it's uh, it's why we've been seven months uh, paralyzed. That and that and uh, Mitch McConnell just wasn't too concerned about any of the other issues that are addressed in the bill, education. Uh, Ah, uh, the health of our rural hospitals and 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 clinics, uh, the the housing issues, just the whole series, the unemployment issues. all of those just don't uh, that's not his clientele. Uh, his clientele is uh, the rich and rich and powerful, and they want tax cuts. They're not interested in spending money on on the welfare of ordinary Americans. but this uh, this particular issue, um, I tell you, there was a team of uh, folks in the Democratic caucus in the Senate who are lawyers who worked to find a compromise that said, well, we can we can bound the, the time frame on on this. Uh, we can find some way that doesn't destroy the ability to have a fair day in court, but doesn't just create exposure for years to come if people don't file in the near future, so on and so forth. And but there was no interest, no interest. On McConnell's team of any sort of, of compromise. What they want to do is set the standard now that corporations can do whatever the hell they want into the future. Because if they can, at this moment, use the blackmailing of state and local government in order to create corporate impunity, they feel they can do so much e- more easily in the future. And I, that's why it's that's why we have to take a stand and say that it, that is not going to happen. We're not going to go there. The number, of, the number of cases is very small right now, and let, let me explain why. Uh, one is um, it's very hard to demonstrate uh, knowing intent, that someone deliberately knew that they should do better but, and knew that they were putting their, their employees into grave danger, but did so anyway. It's very hard to show that. And for those who get sick and have, therefore, um, consequences to, to seek redress, it's hard to demonstrate where they got the disease. Did they really get it at the workplace? Did they get it riding in the car on the way to the workplace? Did they get it from a family member who had come home for the holidays? So for those reasons, the number of cases is small. The amount of money is modest. So this is really about trying to crush the very idea of Americans' right to seek fairness against the powerful before a judge.
0: Is there great pressure right now on the Republicans from their corporate constituencies? Is this a is this something they're hearing? Who's primarily advocating for this? Is it like the NFIB. Who are the in, in addition to Mitch McConnell? Who's pushing on him?
2: It's it's big big corporations across America, and they they aren't too concerned about getting sued on this issue, but they want to establish the principle they can't get sued on any issue. Think about what they've been able to succeed in doing. Like all these consumer contracts have clauses in them that say, you can't sue us if you're unhappy. You've got to go to an arbitrator. And so the arbitrator is hired by the big company. So therefore, they fine for the big company. It's a completely rigged system. So they've already accomplished that. They've also crushed class action suits. So, for example, if you look at your phone bill and find there's a charge on there that you never authorized, they added, I don't know, some channel to your cable or or some feature to your phone, and they've been charging you an extra 10 bucks for a year and a half, and you go, well that's, hey, that's real money, that's $180. But you can't proceed to go for $180, you can't afford to hire a lawyer and take them to court. But if it was class action, and you had the 10,000 people who they'd done this to be able to go together then, they, then these companies would shape up and quit cheating you, but they blocked class action. So they blocked class action. They put arbitrators in the middle of most things, They're, but they still have this kind of window of responsibility on something like the treatment of their employees and deliberately exposing them to harm. They're trying to get a complete and total ability to have corporate impunity where they never are held accountable for their conduct.
0: Well, Senator, I know that you've got a heart out. You're also working on an amendment to close the last loophole for slavery. You hang up as soon as you need to hang up. But we would love to hear about that if you had a minute.
2: Well, I'll tell you in brief, and I'd love to come back and talk to it about greater degree, because what this is is the slavery clause of the 13th Amendment. And your head is probably going, wait, wait, didn't the 13th Amendment stop slavery? Well, actually, it didn't because it had a clause which said that if you arrested somebody and convicted them of a crime, you could continue slavery. So what happened right in 1865, as the ink was drying on, drying on the 13th Amendment, is states in the southern U.S. started passing what later became called the Black Codes, which basically made it illegal to be black. Now, I mean, there were things like if you walk on a sidewalk and don't yield to a white person, that's a crime. If you're unemployed, that's a crime. If you loiter, it's a crime. If you're unemployed, it's a crime. If you speak too loud, it's a crime. So you could be arrested at any time for anything. And the states started arresting people, black men primarily, but also black women and some black children, and running them out as slaves. And they made a lot of money doing this. And it just continued slavery through this rented slave process that was sometimes worse than slavery. And I I say that with caution, but think about it this way. If you are a slave owner, you do not want your slave to die because they are an asset. But if you're renting a slave and the slave dies, well, you just rent another one. And so there were were reports of uh, slave camps where 40% of the people died who were assigned to them. Alabama was making... Uh, some uh, 75% of their state income off running out, out slaves. Uh, into uh, the the 1880s, there were reports that one-third of the black men had been uh, uh, arrested under these black black codes. Uh, this, this split families, just like slavery did. It ripped the father away from the family or the mother away from the family, left kids orphaned. Uh, it uh, destroyed the finances of the family, just like slavery did. And it started mass incarceration. It continued a process of viewing black Americans as dehumanizing them and viewing them as prone to be criminals because suddenly you're arresting all of these these people. Well, obviously, uh, they're prone to be criminals because you you're filling your prisons with them and then running them out. So it it basically cemented uh, bigotry and racism, systemic discrimination, and did so for three-quarters of a century after the passage of the 13th Amendment. This clause is in the Oregon State Constitution. It needs to come out. It is in the U.S. Constitution. It needs to come out. So no one in U.S. history has proposed, as far as we're aware, has ever proposed taking this on and getting this done, getting it out of the U.S. Constitution. I was shocked to find out that, as far as we can tell, I'm the first person to propose doing so in this conversation of this last year, Black Lives Matter, let's fix the 13th Amendment and end slavery in America.
0: Senator Jeff Merkley, thank you so much for your time. We have more to talk about, but I don't want Sarah to kill us. Please do say hi to Mary. Have a wonderful holiday, and I do hope that we can follow up and talk about that and other important topics. So much appreciate your service and appreciate your time with us.
2: Thank you, Jefferson. I'll see you down the road. Be well. X-Ray.
0: Thanks to Senator Merkley for joining the local, and big thanks to our production team, executive editor Will Romy, supporting editors and writers Miranda Sellinger, Jonathan Covington Bram, Sophie Mallon, Brian Miller, Julia Oppenheimer, Carly Quadros, Jalisa Rangering, Ryder Sherwood, and Sam Smargiassi. Big, big thanks to co-executive producer Emily Gilliland, I'm Jefferson Smith. Thanks for Original Journalism and Research by The Lund Report. Oregon Health Authority, COVID-19.healthdata.org, Oregon Historical Society, Portland Mercury, Portland Review, Portland Business Journal, KGW, Lemon Week, COIN, pamphlet Media, OPB, KTU, the Oregonian Statesman Journal, News Partners, Street News, and Earport. Thank you for listening to the local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes.
2: And thank you, Democracy. Talk to you on Monday.